0: Part Two of Chapter One of the Brotherhood of the Seven Kings This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Brotherhood of the Seven Kings by L. T. Meade and Robert Eustace. Chapter One At the Edge of the Crater. Part Two It was now ten o'clock. My first object was to find Dr. Fietta to speak to him boldly, and take the boy away by main force if necessary. I rushed back to the Grand Hotel, where I learned that a boy and a man, answering to the description of Dr. Fietta and Cecil, had breakfast there, but had gone out again immediately afterwards. The Hadasbis, I knew, was to coal, and would not leave Malta before one o'clock. My only chance, therefore, was to catch them as they came on board. Until then I could do nothing. At twelve o'clock I went down to the quay and took a boat to the Hadaspes. Seeing no sign of Fietta and the boy on deck, I made my way at once to Lord Carnes cabin. The door was open and the place in confusion. Every vestige of baggage had disappeared. Absolutely at a loss to divine the cause of this unexpected discovery, I pressed the electric bell. In a moment a steward appeared. "'Has Lord Carne left the ship?' I asked, my heart beating fast. "'I believe so, sir,' replied the man. I had orders to pack the luggage and send it on shore. It went about an hour ago. I waited to hear no more. Rushing to my cabin I began flinging my things pell-mell into my portmanteau. I was full of apprehension at this sudden move of Dr. Fieta's. Calling a steward who was passing to help me, I got my things on deck, and in a few moments had them in a boat and was making rapidly for the shore. I drove back at once to the Grand Hotel in the Strada Real. Did the gentleman who came here to-day from the Hedaspis, accompanied by a little boy, engage rooms for the night? I asked of the proprietor in the bureau at the top of the stairs. "'No, sir,' answered the man. "'They breakfasted here, but did not return. I think they said they were going to the gardens of San Antonio.' For a minute or two I paced the hall in uncontrollable excitement. I was completely at a loss what step to take next. Then suddenly an idea struck me. I hurried down the steps and made my way to Cook's office. "'A gentleman of that description took two tickets for Naples by the Spartivento, a Rupertino boat, two hours ago,' said the clerk, in answer to my inquiries. "'She has started by now,' he continued, glancing up at the clock. "'To Naples?' I cried. A sickening fear seized me. The very name of that hated place struck me like a poisoned weapon. "'Is it too late to catch her?' I cried. "'Yes, sir, she has gone. Then what is the quickest route by which I can reach Naples?' You can go by the Gingra, a Piano boat, to-night to Brindisi, and then overland. That is the quickest way now. I at once took my passage and left the office. There was not the least doubt what had occurred. Dr. Fietta had missed his syringe, and in consequence had immediately altered his plans. He was now taking the lad to the very fountain head of the Brotherhood, where other means, if necessary, would be employed to put an end to his life. It was nine o'clock in the evening, three days later, when, from the windows of the railway carriage, I caught my first glimpse of the glow on the summit of Vesuvius. During the journey, I had decided on my line of action. Leaving my luggage in the cloakroom, I entered a carriage, and began to visit hotel after hotel. For a long time, I had no success. It was past eleven o'clock that night, when, weary and heartsick, I drew up at the Hotel Londres. I went to the concierge with my usual question, expecting the invariable reply, but a glow of relief swept over me when the man said, Dr. Fietta is out, sir, but the young man is in. He is in bed. Will you call to-morrow? What name shall I say? I shall stay here, I answered. Let me have a room at once, and have my bag taken to it. What is the number of Lord Carn's room? Number forty-six. But he will be asleep, sir. You cannot see him now. I made no answer, but going quickly upstairs I found the boy's room. I knocked. There was no reply. I turned the handle and entered. All was dark. Striking a match I looked round. In a white bed at the farther end lay the child. I went up and bent softly over him. He was lying with one hand beneath his cheek. He looked worn and tired, and now and then moaned as if in trouble. When I touched him lightly on the shoulder he started up and opened his eyes. A dazed expression of surprise swept over his face. Then, with an eager cry, he stretched out both his hands and clasped one of mine. "'I am so glad to see you,' he said. "'Dr. Fietta told me you were angry, that I had offended you. I very nearly cried when I missed you that morning at Malta. And Dr. Fietta said I should never see you any more. I don't like him. I am afraid of him. Have you come to take me home?' As he spoke he glanced eagerly round in the direction of the door clutching my hand still tighter as he did so. "'Yes, I shall take you home, Cecil. I have come for the purpose,' I answered. "'But are you quite well?' "'That's just it. I am not. I have awful dreams at night. Oh, I am so glad you have come back, and you are not angry. Did you say you were really going to take me home?' "'Tomorrow, if you like.' "'Please do. I am—stoop down. I want to whisper to you. I am dreadfully afraid of Dr. Fietta.' "'What is your reason?' i asked there is no reason answered the child but somehow i dread him i have done so ever since you left us at malta once i woke in the middle of the night and he was bending over me he had such a queer look on his face and he used that syringe again he was putting something into my arm he told me it was morphia i did not want him to do it for i thought you would rather he didn't i wish mother had sent me away with you i am afraid of him "'Yes, I am afraid of him.' "'Now that I have come, everything will be right,' I said. "'And you will take me home tomorrow, "'Certainly. "'But I should like to see Vesuvius first. "'Now that we are here, it seems a pity that I should not see it. "'Can you take me to Vesuvius tomorrow morning, and home in the evening? "'And will you explain to Dr. frietta "'I will explain everything. "'Now go to sleep. "'I am in the house, and you have nothing whatever to fear.' "'I am very glad you have come,' he said wearily. He flung himself back on his pillow. The exhausted look was very manifest on his small, childish face. I left the room, shutting the door softly. To say that my blood-boiled can express but little the emotions which ran through my frame. The child was in the hands of a monster. He was in the very clutch of the Brotherhood, whose intention was to destroy his life. I thought for a moment—' There was nothing now for it but to see Fietta, tell him that I had discovered his machinations, claim the boy, and take him away by force. I knew that I was treading on dangerous ground. At any moment my own life might be forfeit for my supposed treachery to the cause whose vows I had so madly taken. Still, if I saved the boy, nothing else really mattered. I went downstairs into the great central hall, interviewed the concierge, who told me that Fietta had returned. "'asked for the number of his private sitting-room, "'and going there, opened the door without knocking. "'At a writing-table at the farther end sat the doctor. "'He turned as I entered, and, recognizing me, "'started up with a sudden exclamation. "'I noticed that his face changed colour "'and that his beady eyes flashed all ugly fire. "'Then, recovering himself, he advanced quietly towards me. "'This is another of your unexpected surprises, Mr. Head,' "'he said with politeness.' "'You have not, then, gone on to Cairo. "'You change your plans rapidly.' "'Not more so than you do, Dr. Fietta, I replied, watching him as I spoke. "'I was obliged to change my mind,' he answered. "'I heard in Malta that cholera had broken out in Cairo. "'I could not, therefore, take my patient there. "'May I inquire why I have the honour of this visit? "'You will excuse my saying so, "'but this action of yours forces me to suspect that you are following me. "'Have you a reason?' He stood with his hands behind him, and a look of furtive vigilance crept into his small eyes. "'This is my reason,' I replied. I boldly drew the hypodermic syringe from my pocket as I spoke. With an inconceivably rapid movement he hurried past me, locked the door, and placed the key in his pocket. As he turned towards me again I saw the glint of a long bright stiletto, which he had drawn and was holding in his right hand, which he kept behind him. "'I see you are armed,' I said quietly. "'But do not be too hasty. "'I have a few words to say to you.' "'As I spoke, I looked him full in the face. "'Then I dropped my voice. "'I am one of the Brotherhood of the Seven Kings.' "'When I uttered these magical words, "'he started back, and looked at me with dilated eyes. "'Your proofs, instantly, or you are a dead man.' "'He cried hoarsely. "'Beads of sweat gleamed upon his forehead. "'Put that weapon on the table.' give me your right hand and you shall have the proofs you need i answered he hesitated then changed the stiletto to his left hand and gave me his right i grasped it in the peculiar manner which i had never forgotten and bent my head close to his the next moment i had uttered the password of the brotherhood la regina i whispered y la regina he replied flinging the stiletto on the carpet ah he continued with an expression of the strongest relief "'while he wiped the moisture from his forehead. "'This is too wonderful. "'And now tell me, my friend, what your missing is. "'I knew you had stolen my syringe, but why did you do it? "'Why did you not reveal yourself to me before?' "'You are, of course, under the Queen's orders.' "'I am,' I answered, "'and her orders to me now are to take Lord Carn home to England overland to-morrow morning.' "'Very well. Everything is finished. He will die in one month.' from Mediterranean fever, but it is not necessarily fatal, I continued. That is true. It is not always fatal, acquired in the ordinary way, but by our methods it is so. Then you have administered more of the microorganisms since Malta? Yes. I had another syringe in my case, and now nothing can save him. The fever will commence in six a days from now. He paused for a moment or two it is very odd he went on that i should have had no communication i cannot understand it a sudden flash of suspicion shot across his dark face my heart sank as i saw it it passed however the next instant the man's words were courteous and quiet i of course i see to your proposition he said everything is quite safe this that i have done can never by any possibility be discovered madame is invincible "'Have you yet seen a Lord Carne? "'Yes, and I have told him to be prepared to accompany me home to-morrow. "'Very well.' Dr. Figueroa walked across the room, unlocked the door, and threw it open. "'Your plans will suit me admirably,' he continued. "'I shall stay on here for a few days more, as I have some private business to transact. "'Tonight I shall sleep in peace. "'Your shadow has been haunting me for the last three days.' I went from Fietta's room to the boy's. He was wide awake and started up when he saw me. "'I have arranged everything, Cecil,' I said, "'and you are in my charge now. I mean to take you to my room to sleep.' "'Oh!' he answered. "'I am glad. Perhaps I shall sleep better in your room. I am not afraid of you. I love you.' His eyes, bright with affection, looked into mine. I lifted him into my arms, wrapped his dressing-gown over his shoulders, and conveyed him through the folding doors down the corridor into the room I had secured for myself there were two beds in the room and I placed him in one. I am so happy, he said. I love you so much. Will you take me to Vesuvius in the morning and then home in the evening? I will see about that. Now go to sleep, I answered. He closed his eyes with a sigh of pleasure. In ten minutes he was sound asleep. I was standing by him when there came a knock at the door. I went to open it. A waiter stood without. He held a salver in his hand. It contained a letter, also a sheet of paper and an envelope, stamped in the name of the hotel. "'From the dottore, to be delivered to the signore immediately,' was the laconic remark. Still standing in the doorway, I took the letter from the tray, opened it, and read the following words. "'You have removed the boy, and that action arouses my mistrust.' I doubt your having received any communication from Madame. If you wish me to believe that you are a bona fide member of the Brotherhood, return the boy to his own sleeping-room immediately. I took a pencil out of my pocket, and hastily wrote a few words on the sheet of paper which had been sent for this purpose. I retain the boy. You are welcome to draw your own conclusions. Folding up the paper, I slipped it into the envelope, and wetting the gum with my tongue, fastened it together, and handed it to the waiter, who withdrew. I re-entered my room and locked the door. To keep the boy was imperative, but there was little doubt that Fietta would now telegraph to Madame Colucci, the telegraphic office being open day and night, and find out the trick I was playing upon him. I considered whether I might not remove the boy there and then to another hotel, but decided that such a step would be useless. Once the emissaries of the Brotherhood were put upon my track, the case for the child and myself "'would be all but hopeless. "'There was likely to be little sleep for me that night. "'I paced up and down my lofty room. "'My thoughts were keen and busy. "'After a time, however, a strange confusion seized me. "'One moment I thought of the child, "'the next of Madame Colucci, "'and then again I found myself pondering "'some abstruse and comparatively unimportant point in science "'which I was perfecting at home. "'I shook myself free of these thoughts, "'to walk about again, to pause by the bedside of the child to listen to his quiet breathing perfect peace reigned over his little face he had resigned himself to me his terrors were things of the past and he was absolutely happy then once again that queer confusion of brain returned i wondered what i was doing and why i was anxious about the boy finally i sank upon the bed at the farther end of the room for my limbs were tired and weighted with a heavy oppression i would rest for a moment but nothing would induce me to close my eyes. So I thought, and flung myself back on my pillow. But the next instant all present things were forgotten in dreamless and heavy slumber. I awoke long hours afterwards to find the sunshine flooding the room, the window which led onto the balcony wide open and Cecil's bed empty. I sprang up with a cry. Memory returned with a flash. What had happened? Had Fietta managed to get in by means of the window? I had noticed the balcony outside the window on the previous night. The balcony of the next room was but a few feet distant from mine. It would be easy for anyone to enter there, spring from one balcony to the other, and so obtain access to my room. Doubtless this had been done. Why had I slept? I had firmly resolved to stay awake all night. In an instant I found the solution. Fieta's letter had been a trap. The envelope which he sent me contained poison on the gum. I had licked it, and so received the fatal soporific. My heart beat wildly. I knew I had not an instant to lose. With hasty strides I went into Fietta's sitting-room. There was no one there. Into his bedroom, the door of which was open. It was also empty. I rushed into the hall. "'The gentleman and the little boy went out about half an hour ago,' said the concierge, in answer to my inquiries. "'They have gone to Vesuvius. A fine day for the trip.' The man smiled as he spoke. My heart almost stopped. How did they go? I asked. A carriage. Two horses. Best way to go. In a second I was out in the Piazza del Municipio. Hastily selecting a pair-horse carriage out of the group of importunate drivers, I jumped in. Vesuvius! I shouted. As hard as you can go! The man began to bargain. I thrust a roll of paper money into his hand. On receiving it he waited no longer, and we were soon dashing at a furious speed along the crowded ill-paved streets, scattering the pedestrians as we went, down the Via Roma and out on the Santa Lucia Quay, away and away through endless labyrinths of noisome narrow streets, till at length we got into the more open country at the base of the burning mountain. Should I be in time to prevent the catastrophe which I dreaded? For I had been up that mountain before and knew well the horrible danger at the crater's mouth. A slip, a push, and one would never be seen again. The ascent began, and the exhausted horses were beginning to fail. I leapt out and giving the driver a sum which I did not wait to count, ran up the winding road of cinders and pumice that curves round beneath the observatory. My breath had failed me, and my heart was beating so hard that I could scarcely speak when I reached the station where one takes ponies to go over the new rough lava. In answer to my inquiries, Cook's agent told me that Fietta and Cecil had gone on not a quarter of an hour ago. I shouted my orders, and flinging money right and left, I soon obtained a fleet pony, and was galloping recklessly over the broken lava. Throwing the reins over the pony's head, I presently jumped off, and ran up the little narrow path to the funicular wire-laid railway that takes passengers up the steep cone to the crater. "'Just gone on, sir,' said a cook's official in answer to my question. "'But I must follow at once,' I said excitedly, hurrying towards the little shed the man stopped me. "'We don't take single passengers,' he said. "'I will and must go alone,' I said. "'I'll buy the car, and the railway, and you, and the mountain if necessary, but go I will. How much do you want to take me alone?' hundred francs,' he said impertinently, little thinking that I would agree to the bargain. "'Done,' I replied. In astonishment he counted out the notes which I handed to him, and hurried at once into the shed, Here he rang an electric bell to have the car at the top started back, and getting into the empty car I began to ascend, up and up and up. Soon I passed the empty car returning. How slowly we moved! My mouth was parched and dry, and I was in a fever of excitement. The smoke from the crater was close above me in great wreaths. At last we reached the top. I leapt out and, without waiting for a guide, made my way past and rushed up the active cone slipping in the shifting loose gritty soil when i reached the top a gale was blowing and the scenery below with the bay and naples and sorrento lay before me the most magnificent panorama in the world i had no time to glance at it but hurried forward past crags of hot rock from which steam and sulphur were escaping the wind was taking the huge volumes of smoke over to the farther side of the crater and i could just catch sight of two figures as the smoke cleared for a moment The figures were that of Fietta and the boy. They were evidently making a detour of the crater, and had just entered the smoke. I heard a guide behind shout something to me in Italian, but I took no notice, and plunged at once into the blinding, suffocating smoke that came belching forth from the crater. I was now close behind Fietta and the boy. They held their handkerchiefs up to their faces to keep off the choking, sulfurous fumes, and had evidently not seen me their guide was ahead of them. Fieta was walking slowly. He was farthest away from the crater's mouth. The boy's hand was within his. The boy was nearest to the yawning gulf. A hot and choking blast of smoke blinded me for a moment and hid the pair from view. The next instant it passed. I saw Fieta suddenly turn, seize the boy, and push him towards the edge. Through the rumbling thunder that came from below I heard a sharp cry of terror and bounding forward I just caught the lad as he reeled and hurled him away into safety. With a yell of baffled rage, Fietta dashed through the smoke and flung himself upon me. I moved nimbly aside, and the doctor, carried on by the impetus of his rush, missed his footing in the crumbling ashes, and fell headlong down through the reeking smoke and steam into the fathomless seething cauldron below. What followed may be told in a few words. That evening I sailed for Malta with the boy. Dr. Benson administered the antitoxin in time, and the child's life was saved. Within a fortnight I brought him back to his mother. It was reported that Dr. Fietta had gone mad at the edge of the crater, and in an excess of maniacal fury had first tried to destroy the boy, and then flung himself in. I kept my secret. End of chapter 1